Well, we're going to spend time in two chapters in Ezekiel, which is really a poem, a funeral poem. And we've been spending a lot of time going back and forth with the book of Revelation, and kind of we're forced to do that again here because the last part of Ezekiel 27, it's almost just quoted verbatim here in Revelation 18. So we're kind of invited here to go back and forth. And let's just read it, and then we'll try to discuss the meaning here. Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, sing a funeral song for Tyre, that mighty gateway to the sea, the trading center of the world. Give Tyre this message from the sovereign Lord. You boasted, O Tyre, my beauty is perfect. Your home is the sea. And uh, I won't quote this extensively, but it, it really goes through and talks about all the trading. So Tyre did business with Spain, Greece, Okay, it's mentioned in great detail all the things that were traded. Um, and uh, I'll mention this here just because it, it's also mentioned in Revelation here. You traded your goods for slaves. And for weapons of war, you sold your goods for workhorses and war horses. Um, all these other nations, Rhodes, Syria, Judah, Israel, Damascus, they all traded with Tyre. Okay, and we'll read this, but just, we just want to impress on you. It's trying to make the point here. Everyone traded with Tyre. Okay, they all traded with you. Okay, and as we move on here, then this is, this is where we kind of go back and forth here with Revelation 18. Your merchandise was carried in fleets of the largest cargo ships. You were like a ship at sea loaded with heavy cargo. When your oarsmen brought you out to sea, an east wind wrecked you far from land. All your wealth of merchandise, all the sailors and your crew, your ship's carpenters and your merchants, every soldier on board the ship, All were lost at sea when your ship was wrecked. The shouts of the drowning sailors echoed on the shore. Every ship is now deserted, and every sailor has gone ashore. They all mourn bitterly for you, throwing dust on their heads and rolling in ashes. They shave their heads for you and dress themselves in sackcloth. Their hearts are bitter as they weep. They chant a funeral song for you. Who can be compared to Tyre, to Tyre now silent in the sea? When your merchandise went overseas, you filled the needs of every nation. Kings were made rich by the wealth of your goods. Now you are wrecked in the sea. You have sunk to the ocean depths. Your goods and all who worked for you have vanished with you in the sea. Everyone who lives along the coast is shocked at your fate. Even their kings are terrified and fear is written on their faces. You are gone, gone forever. And merchants all over the world are terrified, afraid that they will share your fate. And just um, before we talk about Revelation just a little bit here, merchants are um, universally a, a bad thing here in the Old Testament. Okay, it's always uh, described with uh, dishonesty, false scales, manipulation, predation, uh, exploitation. And uh, just give a couple of verses on this. The book of Zechariah, the, the 14th chapter, it's really uh, apocalyptic. It's kind of an end of the world kind of a description here. Um, I'll just read a couple of verses here. Then the Lord will be king over all the earth. Everyone will worship him as God and know him by the same name. Okay, very significant there. And when that time comes, there will no longer be any merchant in the temple of the Lord Almighty. Of course, you know, Jesus drove out the merchants who were doing the same things, you know, ex- exploiting the people. Okay, and just one more on merchants here as uh, dishonest and crafty. My people are like crafty merchants. And, and actually, the, the word Canaanites became synonymous with 
Merchants, the Canaanites, were dishonest in their trade. My people are like crafty merchants, selling from dishonest scales. They love to cheat. Israel boasts, I am rich. I've made a fortune all by myself. No one has caught me cheating. My record is spotless. Okay, so uh, again, merchants have kind of a bad reputation here in the Old Testament. And so this imagery um, for Tyre and the merchants, and uh, we want to, I think, apply that uh, to the merchants here described in Tyre. So, but to, to get to Revelation, we can't just read Revelation 18, because if we miss the context, uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So we have to back up, because the, the person in the sea in Revelation is the, the prostitute, the harlot, Babylon. Okay, so we want to understand what's, what's the parallel there. And, uh, and again, I, I, this was uh, Dr. Tonstead's insight, which was uh, very helpful for me here, that the imagery in Revelation of this woman starts back in Revelation 12, where we have what was seen to be a good woman, a great and wondrous sign, a woman clothed with the sun, okay, purity, with the moon under her feet, a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant. And, and most people interpret this to be the, the faithful church. Okay, And then we read on, then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns, and its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky, flung them to the earth, and the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Again, I'm leaving out some details here. Uh, she gave birth to a son, a male child, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. And then the woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God. Okay, so we have the woman here um, trying to flee from the dragon. And as the description goes on here in Revelation 12 and 13, um, what, what is described here is that the dragon goes into stealth mode, okay, and uh, tries to, to win the victory in another way, okay, and so there's a warning, how terrible for the earth, for the devil is, and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, he's filled with rage, he knows he has only a little time left, okay, and so the stealth mode is to use um, surrogate powers, and then we have these other beasts that come onto the scene, okay, but... But Revelation is really clear that it's the dragon that is the source, uh, the inspiration for these other beasts. So in Revelation 13, okay, I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. And notice, the dragon gave the beast his own power. And the dragon is the one who's really behind it all. Okay, what is the beast up to? It opened its mouth in slander against God, misrepresenting his name. We've talked a lot about name, character, and his dwelling. That is, those who dwell in heaven. And this is uh, from Dr. Tonstead, who said, talked about two forms of blasphemy. Of course, claiming equality from God, but in this context, blasphemy can also mean misrepresenting the character of God. Okay, slander, misrepresenting his name. That the ultimate, you know, what he's trying to accomplish here behind the scenes is to slander God, his reputation. Okay, so uh, here we'll, we'll read on here in Revelation 17. So John is shown, come with me, I will show you the judgment that is going to come to the great prostitute who rules over many waters. The kings of the world have committed adultery with her, and the people who belong to the world have been made drunk by the wine of her immorality. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. Now, Revelation 12, the woman is trying to flee from the beast. Okay, now we have a woman sitting on the beast. Same beast, had seven heads, ten horns, Blasphemies against God were written all over it. And the woman wore purple and scarlet clothing, and the description goes on. 
A mysterious name was written on her forehead, Babylon the Great, mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. I could see that she was drunk, drunk with the blood of God's holy people who are witnesses for Jesus. I stared at her in complete amazement. And an appropriate translation of this would be, when I saw her, I was appalled. Okay, so why was John appalled? Well, again, we have a description here of a woman. I've never liked the cartoon images of Revelation. They always are. But anyway, I wanted to make this graphic somehow. But, um, so we have a woman here described in Revelation 12, the faithful church, pure, fleeing from the dragon. Okay, and then as we read on, the dragon works through these surrogate powers, and now we see the woman united with the beast. They're working together. And so I think when John would say, I was appalled, it is, uh, you know, look what has happened. I mean, the, the church here has gone from something that looked like this to now actually be completely co-opted by the beast. Okay, so uh, just a, a few comments here. The, the biblical meaning of um, prostitution. Um, prostitution used again and again as an image of an unfaithfulness. Uh, remember when he talked about Hosea? And in the Old Testament, so many times that the woman charged with prostitution is Israel, unfaithful Israel. But in Revelation here, the prostitute is best understood as the fallen church. Okay, a church that was faithful and now a church that has fallen away and is really being run by the, by the demonic. Okay, and so, and this is Dr. Tonstead's point, I can only make a claim for this. It would take a long time to try to make a case for it. But I agree with him that uh, the woman here represents religion, the church, and that the beast is the state, politics. And what we have here, I mean, just, just think about what happened here, that Christianity you know, after Christ, was the persecuted minority. Okay, and it really did in many ways resemble Christ and his faithfulness and in his sufferings. And uh, with Constantine and, and other things that developed hundreds of years later, you know, Christianity went from the persecuted minority to the persecuting majority, okay, where the world was coerced. You know, it was not uh, the truth spoken in love. It was uh, very much a coercive um, power religion that forced others into Christianity, okay, where, you know, um, you would be tortured for your own good to convert and to become a Christian, okay, and that we just, you know, we just consider Jesus, you know, his humble ministry, and the church uh, really took on power, greed, wealth, and worked hand in hand with states in order to achieve those things, Okay, so we have the Dark Ages, appropriately called the Dark Ages, with, with all of these things that were happening. So I think you know, the imagery here in Revelation accurately describes uh, the horrible things that went on in the name of Christianity for a long period of time. And you know, if you were the devil trying to do something, I think the, the devil isn't that interested in we have uh, Satan worship over here and Christianity over here. Would much rather co-opt Christianity and, uh, you know, it's like a vaccine. What's the best way to rid uh, an infection? You give a dead virus, okay? And uh, in many ways, atheism is a, is a reaction against a, a, a false view of uh, Christianity. So anyway, very, very effective here. So now here's the passage in Revelation 18 that, that parallels what we just read in Ezekiel. 
So the angel said to me, the waters where the prostitute is ruling represents masses of people of every nation and language. The sea always represents the people. After this, I saw another angel come down from heaven. He gave a mighty shout. Babylon is fallen. That great city is fallen. She has become a home for demons. So notice the, the, the prostitute here, a home for demons. It is the dragon that is behind it all, ultimately. She's a hideout for every foul spirit, a hideout for every foul vulture, every foul and dreadful animal. For all the nations have fallen because of the wine of her passionate immorality. The kings of the world have committed adultery with her. Because of her desires for extravagant luxury, the merchants of the world have grown rich. And so just the the sins of Babylon described here in a nutshell, a home of demons. Well, it's, it's again, it's the the demonic force that is driving all of this with an intentioned purpose. The fornication and immorality is, uh, is an allusion to unfaithfulness and trade here. And the merchants, it's um, dishonest predation, it's exploitation. Okay, so the description goes on. In her heart, she says, I rule as a queen. I am no widow. I will never see grief. But in one day, and here, does this sound familiar to Ezekiel? She will be struck with plagues, disease, grief, and famine. The kings of the earth who took part in her immorality and lust will cry and weep over the city when they see the smoke from the flames that consume her. They stand a long way off because they are afraid of sharing in her suffering. They say, how terrible, how awful, this great and mighty city Babylon. In just one hour, you've been punished. The merchants of the earth also cry and mourn for her because no one buys their goods any longer. No one buys their gold, silver, precious stones, pearls, their goods of linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of rare woods, all kinds of objects made of ivory, expensive wood, bronze, iron, marble, and slaves, even human life. And I, that was from Ezekiel. It's emphasizing the, the predation. <clears throat> the merchants who became rich from doing business in that land will stand a long way off, just like in Ezekiel. Because they're afraid of sharing in her suffering, they will cry and mourn. And in one hour, she's lost all this wealth. All the ship's captains and passengers, the sailors, and all others who earn their living on the sea stood a long way off and cried out as they saw the smoke, and so on. So just very quickly, not to read all of this uh, again, but just the the parallels. If you just read the end of Ezekiel 27 and, and Revelation 18, um, remember, we said Revelation, it's entirely Old Testament. You just pull these things out of the Old Testament. But the imagery as it's interpreted here in the Old Testament is significant. So we have in Ezekiel, they shave their heads, they put on sackcloth, they weep and mourn. In Revelation, they throw dust on their heads. They weep and they mourn. Okay, same thing. In Ezekiel, um, it, we read a description, they'll put an end to your noisy songs, the music of your harps will be heard no more. In Revelation 18, the music of harpists and musicians, flute players, will be no more. Okay? In Ezekiel, all the princes of the coast will step down from their thrones, lay aside their robes, take off their embroidered garments, clothed with terror, they sit and they mourn. Okay? So in Ezekiel 26, it's the princes of the coast. In Revelation 18, the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury, they weep and mourn. It's just almost identical. And just a last one here. We could make many more, but in Ezekiel 26, you say, O Tyre, I am perfect in beauty. Okay, and then a verse we will read in just a minute in Ezekiel 28. Okay, this being, in the pride of your heart, you say, I am a God. I sit on the throne of a God in the heart of the seas. 
Okay, so it's the, the pride here in Revelation 18. The woman boasts, I sit as a queen. I am not a widow. I will never mourn. Okay, so undeniable uh, parallels here. And I want to uh, get to Revelation or to Ezekiel 28. But first, you know, Revelation ends. The beast, the false prophet, the woman, they're all out of the way. Uh, remember, those are surrogate powers that are used by the dragon. But in the end... We have only one person left on the stage. It's like that has to be highlighted. Okay, all of the deception, it's cleared out of the way, and we have a person left on the stage revelation. That is Satan. Okay, and so we have this description about the dragon. And no question, we don't want to miss the identity. That ancient serpent brings us back to revelation. That is the devil or Satan. And he's changed for a thousand years, and then, of course, after the thousand years are over, he's released and goes back to deceiving again. So we have um, Satan as a person on the world stage here, universal stage, at the end of Revelation. And Ezekiel, after describing here, um, you know, the tire, the city, the ship on a sea, after describing all of this, we also, the, the camera seems to focus in on a person who is behind it all. Okay, so Ezekiel 28 opens this way. Mortal man, tell the ruler of Tyre what I, the sovereign Lord, am saying saying to him. Puffed up with pride, you claim to be a god. You say that like a god, you sit on a throne surrounded by the seas. Well, you may pretend to be a god, but know you are mortal, not divine. Now, obviously, I'm trying to make a case here that this is is a reference to Satan. Uh, Many would disagree with this. Okay, so we need to be uh, open about that. Um, and so, you know, it doesn't say Satan. Of course, even the snake in the garden, it doesn't say Satan. It was a serpent. Okay, many times uh, in the Old Testament, it seems that Satan is veiled. Okay, he's, he's unveiled. He's named. He's pointed to again and again and again in the New Testament. And so the question is, well, is this really a reference to Satan? Um, I think that, uh, if, again, if we use Revelation's interpretation of Ezekiel 27, I think we can make a good case there. But I think we can, uh, we can make another case for this being a reference to Satan. We need to take a little uh, detour, but this is uh, imagery or methods that are used in the Old Testament. And let me just give you one example, and that's uh, in Isaiah. Okay, I won't read through this, but Isaiah describes King Ahaz. He's being attacked by the king of Israel and the king of Syria, and he's desperate. And so Isaiah comes to him and says, ask for a sign. And King Ahaz says, well, I won't, I won't ask for a sign. He's, he's not really being pious here, but he won't ask for a sign. But Isaiah says, well, listen to this. It's bad enough for you to wear out the patience of people. Do you have to wear out God's patience too? Well, then the Lord himself will give you a sign. A young woman who is pregnant will have a son and will name him Emmanuel. By the time this child is old enough to choose what is right and reject what is wrong, he'll be eating yogurt and honey. For before the child is that old, the lands of the two kings you fear so much will both be deserted. And so, of course, we read along here, and okay, there's Jesus right there. But would this make a lot of sense to King Ahaz? Okay, Ahaz, I'll give you a sign. In about 730 years, a boy will be born, and when he is eating yogurt and honey, the two kings you fear so much will be deserted. Okay, that wouldn't make a lot of sense for Ahaz, but here we have in Matthew, this is quoted clearly as a reference to Jesus. A virgin will become pregnant and have a son, and she will be call- he will be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. 
Okay, so how do we uh, resolve this? Well, just very briefly, uh, not to get hung up here, they can get into uh, fights pretty easily by talking about was this young woman or virgin? There are two words in Hebrew here for this. Uh, Betula can only mean virgin, but the, the word that's used here is Alma. And so uh, many have, have argued a really young woman uh, seems to be a better uh, translation of this. But not to make a big deal of that now, but notice, we just have to keep reading in the Bible. So often these things become answered because the Lord said, Isaiah, get something to write on and write with big, clear letters the name Maher Shalar Hashbaz. And I will have Uriah the priest and Zechariah serve as witnesses to this. And notice, sometime later, my wife, Mrs. Isaiah, had a son. And the Lord said, name him Maher Shalar Hashbaz because before he can say, mommy or daddy, the king of Assyria will attack and take everything of value from Damascus and Samaria. So in other words, there really was a boy born in that time. It really did have a meaning for Ahaz in that time. Does that mean it doesn't also apply to Jesus? No, I think it does. And again, if we just keep reading, this does not refer to the son of Mrs. Isaiah. A child is born, a son is given. He will be our ruler, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Okay, so the, the principle that I'm just trying to make a case for here is that we have an initial, here, a, a prophecy, something that met the people in that time. It did have meaning in that time. Mrs. Isaiah did have a boy, okay, that was assigned to King Ahaz. Okay, but it has a much, much greater fulfillment, okay, in the person of, of Jesus Christ, of course which is why perhaps young woman is a better translation here in the Hebrew. It fits for Mrs. Isaiah and also fits later on for um, Jesus. So I think, uh, again, what we see uh, so often in um, the Old Testament, in Isaiah, it's the king of Babylon, well, but then it seems to be describing um, Satan. And here in Ezekiel, it's the king of Tyre, but there's a greater person behind it all, a greater fulfillment. Okay, so back to um, Ezekiel, this person puffed up with pride, you say that like a god, you sit on a throne, surrounded by the seas, and so on. With your wisdom and understanding, you have amassed great wealth, gold and silver, for your treasuries. Yes, your wisdom has made you very rich, and your riches have made you very proud. And I just see here, does the description uh, fit well for the king of Tyre? Son of man, sing this funeral song for the king of Tyre. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. You are the model of perfection. Full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone, red carnelian. It goes on all the jewelry, all beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold. They were given you on the day you were created. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. Okay, so many times here, God is a consuming fire. And this individual lived in the presence of God. You are blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O mighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. You defiled your sanctuaries with your many sins and dishonest trade. So I brought fire from within you, and it consumed you. I reduced you to ashes in the ground on the sight of all who are watching. So I, I think here we, we have insights into something 
um, that is really of, of great significance. And we could go through and, and spend a, a lot of time trying to um, sort out what all of this means. But I want just, to uh, just conclude with some big picture things. I, the C.S. Lewis quote on the first um, slide there, that an understanding of the devil, devil explains many things. And I want to just list a few important things, at least from, from my perspective. Um, one is, you know, how did we get here in the first place? You know, this, this war in heaven and trying to understand how is it that an all-powerful God could allow for an enemy? And as we grapple with, you know, why didn't God just destroy him, eliminate him when he rebelled? We've talked about that extensively, but I think that has a great, um, adds a great depth as we look at, at our world uh, the way it is. Also, we want to send the bill for human suffering to the right address. Okay, now we have to be careful here because um, what I'm not saying is that every earthquake is Satan in the fault, that every disease is you know, Satan in the body doing this and that. But uh, many times in the Bible, the curtain is pulled back and we, we see the, the demonic at work, like in the book of Job, you know, where Job's whole family, everything he had, even on his body, this was not God doing it to him. Okay, this was Satan being allowed uh, to do this to Job. Um, when Jesus saw the woman who was crippled with a crippled back, and he said, you know, this woman who Satan has persecuted for 18 years. Again, I don't know that that means Satan was in the spine of the woman, but Jesus is trying to say, look, let's take this all the way back and let's try to understand what is going on in this conflict um, between God and the, the demonic and that there really is an adversary who is at work Okay, and so I think, again, theodicy, just trying to understand God, a powerful, loving God, and a world of so much disaster and suffering. Uh, the, the demonic aspect is an important, I think, area to pursue in understanding our world. Um, and this description here in Isaiah 14, it's the king of Babylon. Well, we keep reading on, and it seems to be referring to someone else. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, or the bright morning star. And uh, notice the description. Everyone there will stare at you and ask, can this be the one who shook the earth and made the kingdoms of the world tremble? Is this the one who destroyed the world and made it into a wasteland? Is this the king who demolished the world's greatest cities and had no mercy on his prisoners? I mean, this is squarely putting the responsibility for what has gone on in this world on the backs of, uh, back of this individual. And again, in the New Testament, it's all over the place. The Lord's Prayer, keep us safe from the evil one. And Jesus would refer to him twice as the prince of this world. Okay, and even after the cross, Paul would say he's the God of this age, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And John would say the whole world is under control of the evil one. So it's just to... Uh, Satan is often um, you know, seen as just a personification of evil. Not really, there's nothing really personal behind it. And I think the Bible describes a real intent, a thinking, demonic aspect, and just that beast that worked through the church in Revelation. Very intentioned, very purposeful. Okay, so a third aspect is, I think, you know, just uh, recognizing this and trying to understand, well, okay, what's he up to? Hey, the verse we read in Revelation, slander against God, misrepresenting his name. I think, um, I don't know, as a child, I associated Satan mainly with Ouija boards and Halloween, and that was, that was about it. Okay, and, and I'm not 
you know, obviously supporting whatever uh, like that. But what I am saying is I think that it's much more subtle than that. Okay, that ultimately it is a subtle distortion of who our God is. Okay, Satan's much more interested in people who are coming together to try to learn about him, the church. Okay, that's where he'd much rather uh, be active. And we just look at the misrepresentation. I mean, the Bible starts out by telling us a story. This is how it all got started. Okay, and the words of the serpent to Eve. Did God really tell you not to eat any fruit in the garden? And we just read back a few verses. And God said, you made all the fruit in the garden, except one tree. Okay, so the the very subtle accusation here that uh, God is not a God of freedom. And then, of course, God is a liar. How about that for character assassination? And then finally, well, God said you can't eat it because if you did, you would be much more elevated. God has selfishly withheld something that would be for your own good. I mean, these are really uh, horrible character assassination. And and when Eve believed the lies, she ate the fruit. And the fruit wasn't poisonous. Okay, the eating the fruit symbolized ingesting and, and believing the lies that God really is this way. Okay, that's how our mess got started. Okay, I would also say this is a huge subject here, but we don't think about the atonement very often and incorporate Satan or the demonic into that at all. But yet, So much of the New Testament brings Satan into the very purpose, the very mission of Jesus in his death on the cross. Okay, in 1 John, the Son of God appeared for this very reason, to destroy what the devil had done. Well, if what the devil had done was to misrepresent God and to paint him out to be a monster, well, Jesus really shatters that image completely. Jesus himself became like them. He shared their human nature. He did this so that through his death, He might destroy the devil. So many verses like this. And and Jesus would say, as he would just go out to be crucified in John 12, that the time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up, I will draw everyone to myself. So again, to, to bring that aspect into even our understanding of the atonement, I think adds a depth of understanding. Okay, and then finally, um, our eschatology here. What do we think about the future? And now I'm referring just to here in in Revelation, what is described as this infiltration of the church. And I think it should be really sobering and should just kind of wake us up here that uh, everyone worshiped the dragon. And it forced the earth and all the people who live on it to worship, and it deceived all the people. Well, there is another woman, though, remember. So there's a faithful woman in Revelation 12, then we have the prostitute, and then there's another woman, the bride. So there is a there is a faithful um, remnant. But, you know, this, this uh, again, should really awaken us to try to figure out what is going on behind the scenes. So I think if we want to hit a reset button to make a distinction, you know, why do we even talk about the demonic? Well, I think by contrast, of course, in, in Revelation, that image is God is a slaughtered lamb. That is the central image of God in the book of Revelation. It doesn't mean he's not powerful. Okay, there's no question about God's power. I mean, the devil doesn't challenge that. It is that the character of God, the one with all the power, is like this slaughtered lamb, self-sacrificial love personified. And so in any way, as our theology, you know, if we're making God out in any way to be a monster, well, then we need to be careful. The, The revelation is to contrast, I think, these two images of God, the true and the false. Okay. 
So I think next time we'll talk about uh, Daniel. We'll probably just get through the first few chapters. So if you want to read that, that might be helpful. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Father, thank you for uh, the vivid images that uh, were given in the Bible, um, sometimes difficult to understand, uh, but yet there do seem to be basic things about who you are, especially revealed in the life of your son uh, that we need to hang on to, and we need to identify that as what you are like. Help us to uh, broaden our understanding of these things. Amen. <clears throat>